0: This is a CBC podcast.
1: Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics Podcast for Thursday, October 12th. On the pod today, evacuations out of Israel are now underway as the military shuttles Canadians to Greece. We'll speak with a man who was able to get out of Israel on a charter flight and a woman with family stuck in Gaza. Plus, the horrors of the Hamas attacks on Israel are continuing to become clear, as the Gaza Strip is pummeled by airstrikes. Plus, the horrors of the Hamas attack on Israel are continuing to become clear. NATO defense ministers were briefed by Israel today. We'll have the Minister of National Defense, Bill Blair, here to discuss what they heard. And all signs are pointing to an upcoming Israeli ground offensive into Gaza. Does the presence of innocent civilians factor into Israel's ultimate goal of dismantling Hamas? We'll ask a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces. We're going to start on our top story, the developing war between Israel and Hamas. There have, of course, been many developments in the past 24 hours. The first Canadian evacuation flights have left Israel, bringing people from Tel Aviv to Athens. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken reaffirmed American support for Israel while in Jerusalem meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. On the ground, Israeli troops have approached the border with Gaza before a possible ground invasion. And the United Nations continues to warn of a humanitarian disaster in gaza as it remains blockaded and cut off from essential supplies we're going to dig into all of this today but first the latest from israel the cbc's chris brown is in jerusalem so so chris what is the latest from on the ground there
0: I think the signs of war, the signs of increased violence are really everywhere, David. Uh, We're hearing that there were more arrests, more penetrations from Gaza into southern Israel by, um, Israel calls them terrorists, we don't know, uh, gunmen, uh, militants at the very least, Uh, and we've also seen... <clears throat> pardon me, some violence uh, in the West Bank. We've had shootings there as well. Uh, Israeli security forces, the military have shot uh, people in cars who they say were a threat. There was also uh, an incident uh, in East Jerusalem as well. Uh, on the highways, you see the tanks rolling north, rolling south on the back of uh, flatbed trucks. Uh, and of course, in Gaza itself, uh, it really is a nightmare UN officials say it's a catastrophe in terms of health care, in terms of people's safety. The death toll, I've watched it tick up by the dozens every hour this morning. 1,100, one of the latest estimates, is now more than 1,500 people dead, including 500 children. Uh, The UN says uh, unless more food, unless more fuel is delivered, for example, to the hospital, then that hospital is going to turn into a morgue. But of course... that's likely not going to happen. Israel says it's not going to do anything to improve the situation in Gaza until those 100 to 150 hostages are released. And Hamas says it's not going to release them uh, at all. And it won't even consider having discussions until the Israeli bombing stops.
1: You were at the airport today. Uh, What do we know about the status of Canadians getting out? And what did you hear from people there today?
0: A lot of uh, relief in the voices of Canadians there, but also some conflict as well. Uh, We were there for uh, one of the flights that left. One left earlier in the day and then another one left this evening. Uh, So for the second flight, Canadians came about 116, 120 roughly or so. Uh, And people were really glad to get out. They said that, you know, they watched all the flights that they had booked. Literally disappear off the departures uh, sheet, and uh, so they were very fortunate and happy that they got on these flights, but a lot of people are leaving you know pe- uh, loved ones behind uh, husbands in particular are getting left behind. Uh, we talked to one woman whose husband is here in part because he still he 's an Israeli and still has family here. Uh, we talked to another woman who was actually flying out on a separate charter flight uh, a, a private charter flight, um, and her husband joined the army so he He is called up now. He's at the north um, trying to keep the northern border secure from possible incursions from Hezbollah. So people are leaving, but they're also leaving people behind. So very, very mixed feelings.
1: It's a fast moving uh, and fluid situation. Chris, uh, what are you watching for next? What do you think is next
0: in this conflict? I think tomorrow is going to be a very key day. The uh, Hamas has called for mass protests against uh, Israel uh, around the Arab world. And I'm sure we're going to see protests all over the world tomorrow. Um, And I mentioned the violence that we're seeing in the West Bank, some 27 uh, killings, uh, 27 Palestinians have been killed in the last six days there. So the tension in the West Bank, which is right next to where we are here, that's rising. There were problems, as I say, in East Jerusalem. So uh, I really think that's one to watch. And, and all of the uh, statements from Israel's military today have suggested they are ready and able to go depending on what orders they get from this new cabinet. And uh, the briefing, the last briefing that came out, which is now a few hours old, was that they have not received their marching orders yet from this new unity government. Uh, So we should listen and watch for some kind of announcement tomorrow. As I say, it should be a very significant day.
1: Okay, Chris, thank you as always. That is the CBC's Chris Brown in Jerusalem. Well, as Chris mentioned, Israel's defense forces are preparing for what appears to be a large ground operation into Gaza. This, as hostages and foreign nationals remain trapped. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Konrakis is an international spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces. Lieutenant Colonel, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: We've had a briefing from the Canadian government today that says there are at least 100 Canadian citizens stranded in Gaza right now and there's no way to get them out because of the siege being laid by the IDF. What are you prepared to do to allow innocent foreign nationals to leave Gaza?
2: The uh, situation in Gaza is indeed complex and there are, uh, we are aware of uh, you know, people from other nationalities that are present We are doing uh, everything that we can in order to minimize the damage to civilians. At this stage, I am not aware of any ability or plans or attempts to evacuate people. We are focusing at this stage on our military objective, which is to dismantle the military capabilities of Hamas.
1: Is Israel prepared to allow Canadians, Americans, and people from other countries who are not part of this fight to leave Gaza, should they present themselves uh, at at a checkpoint or at an exit or make arrangements for them to do so?
2: I understand the importance of the question, but I think it is a question that will have to be uh, dealt to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or to the Prime Minister's office. The IDF will, of course, execute any directives given by the a political echelon in Israel. I can assure you that whenever possible, the IDF will uh, try not to uh, affect civilians, whether they are Canadians, Americans, or Palestinians from Gaza. Uh, but the bottom line is that this very challenging time, we are focused on our military operations, on our security needs, and those are to strike Hamas.
1: But, but what if, uh, and I appreciate, especially after what happened on Saturday, your desire to eliminate Hamas, but what if attempting to complete your military objectives kills Canadians, kills Americans? We've already seen aid workers and, and civilians being killed by the shells. What then, sir?
2: Well, listen, that isn't the aim of uh, of the operation. And I want to be, you know, I can answer with another question. We have hostages inside the Gaza Strip. Uh, There are more than uh, 100 confirmed hostages uh, whose families already know they've been notified by the government. They are in Gaza, held at gunpoint by Hamas. Hamas has already made a a threat uh, about the safety of these uh, hostages, yet the IDF continues to operate and strike military targets. Now I would like you to put that into the equation, and that will lead you to the answer in understanding our priorities. The priority in this war, not this operation, not this skirmish, but this war is to dismantle the military capabilities of Hamas. All of the other things are secondary at best.
1: Okay, I I appreciate the the candor of that answer. I I wonder, you talk about how you're striking Hamas targets and and military targets. How, How certain are you of that? Like, How good is the intelligence inside Gaza? that what you are hitting are in fact 100% military targets?
2: The intelligence is solid. It's a result of many years of collecting intelligence, of monitoring the movement of Hamas operatives, of listening to them and using various sources of high-tech intelligence in order to map the whereabouts and the locations of the facilities that Hamas uses. So I am very confident that the places we are striking are indeed places that Hamas uses for their military purposes. They may be dual-use localities. Part of them may be used by civilians and part of them may be used by Hamas. And in that case, we apply the principle of proportionality, whether a strike on uh, that is necessary and proportional. If it's a small military importance uh, and striking down a big civilian building, we won't do it. But if we know that there's a a senior Hamas commander that is trying to hide amongst civilians, then uh, in some cases he will be struck even though there are civilian casualties. That is how any military would operate in war, according to the laws of armed conflict, according to those principles, and that is what we are doing.
1: I I know that in the past, Lieutenant Colonel, that uh, you have used text messages and other warnings uh, to civilians of a potential operation or target in a specific part of Gaza. Are those continuing in this operation? Can they continue uh, with the lack of power, for example, inside the Gaza Strip?
2: In fact, they do. And since we are aware of the situation inside Gaza, we have adjusted the uh, mechanisms that we use in order to minimize the threat to civilians. We continue to call where applicable, and there's many... Uh, instances of journalists and uh, other people who uh, have received calls, civilians that have received calls to vacate the premises because either the house next to it or the same building that they're in is going to be hit. We still do that. We have also dropped leaflets in Arabic in certain areas where we've seen a high concentration of Hamas activities. We've dropped leaflets in Arabic telling them This is an area where there is a high level of Hamas activity. For your safety, take clear of Hamas activities and go to another neighborhood or go somewhere else in order to elevate the chances of you not getting hit.
1: I I know that the IDF is preparing for a ground war, and it will depend what the government decides in terms of whether or not you execute this. But, But with the stated goal of eliminating Hamas, It seems to me that that can't be done from the air. I mean, is a ground war inevitable if you're going to eliminate Hamas? And and what would that mean for the civilian population and also the soldiers who would be asked to conduct one?
2: We have mobilized 300,000 reserve soldiers, and all of them are from ground units. So uh, I think that your assumption and your assessment is quite logical, And once ordered, we will continue and broaden the scope of our operations in order to achieve our aim. If the aim can be achieved with zero casualties on our side and no civilians killed, excellent. If Hamas uh, weren't the cowards that they are and if they'd come out and fight, then uh, that would be great. Knowing who they are, knowing their morals, uh, I understand that that is a less feasible option and the IDF is preparing accordingly.
1: Uh, Going back to your earlier answer, where where you said getting rid of Hamas is the primary consideration and keeping your people safe is the primary consideration and everything else is secondary. How do you then factor in the potential for um, civilian loss of life um, in in this conflict, in, in this particular operation happening in Gaza right now?
2: In short, we will try to avoid it as much as possible, but we will pursue our military aims.
1: You say you're trying to avoid it. Can you explain or do you have this insight into how the Red Cross workers, how the United Nations refugee workers uh, were hit and were killed because the UN and the Red Cross have both said they've lost people in the last several days?
2: I don't know the exact details of any specific strike uh, and the exact details of those unfortunate events. I can only say that there are also many instances where rockets fired by Hamas Uh, towards Israel, fall short in Gaza and kill Gazans. Mm -hmm. I don't know how these uh, people were killed. I don't claim that they were killed by Hamas. I'm stating that that has happened in the past. And I'm also stating that we don't intend to kill anybody that isn't directly affiliated with Hamas, or support their operations.
1: The, the attack by Hamas on, on Saturday and the murder of so many of your people has galvanized a lot of support for Israel. Is there a risk, though, if your military response is of such a scale? Uh, does it risk drawing in other actors in the region and perhaps widening this, sir?
2: I think it isn't related to the Israeli response, it's more related to Iranian strategy and a cost-benefit calculation by Hezbollah and uh, and Iranians and Palestinians. That is, I think, the focus. Um, and actually, I think that a uh, strong, decisive, overwhelming military victory against Hamas would provide a very... Uh, peaceful and quiet times in the future, for future generations. But those are speculations, and that is more in the future. Uh, The the other enemies that we have, all funded, equipped, and trained, and guided by Iran, are for sure looking at what's happening and thinking, making their considerations, what they should do uh, according to their own cost-benefit calculations. Um, I think it is worth noting that Hezbollah has so far conducted a few attacks but not yet decided to join in the fighting. That's important. And one would hope for the sake of Lebanese civilians and Israeli civilians, and of course our personnel, that that doesn't change.
1: Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Konrikas, I, I want to thank you for your time today. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
3: Great relief. And then I think that we will probably um, sink into fear for everyone else who has been left behind. No one will move. Everyone will stay here because of their um, attachment to the country and their feeling that Israelis must support Israelis.
1: Canadian military planes have begun evacuating citizens and permanent residents from Israel amid escalating violence in that region. Two flights flew out from Tel Aviv today. The first carried 128 passengers. The second flight, 153. Government officials say 1,600 people have reached out to Global Affairs Canada about leaving the region. 800 of them are in Israel, 180 are in the West Bank, and more than 100 people are stuck in Gaza. The rest officials are still trying to determine locations for. Earlier today, I spoke with Canada's Defense Minister, Bill Blair. He joined us from Brussels. Minister Blair, thanks for your time today. Of course, David. Uh, So as we are speaking, because we are taping this interview, the first evacuation flight has taken off from Tel Aviv. What is your biggest concern right now in terms of your ability to evacuate Canadians in the coming days?
4: Well, we've had well over 4,000 Canadians uh, currently in Israel register with Consul of Affairs, and many of them are expressing concerns and, and, and want want very much to get to a place of safety. We have, as, as you are already aware, uh, mobilized a number of Canadian uh, forces planes. The first one has actually... Um, touched down in, in Tel Aviv and we, it's now headed back to uh, a place of safety, but we want to make sure that we provide the services that Canadians and Israel require and get people to safety as quickly as possible.
1: But you're obviously doing a risk assessment on this operation in real time. What's the biggest risk right now to, to the Canadian Armed Forces planes being able to safely run these shuttles from Israel to Athens?
4: We, we have done a, a very careful assessment of, of that, uh, David, but, but we believe under the circumstances we've, we've got the necessary uh, flyover re- requirements to, to bring these planes safely in and out. There are other commercial flights that are still uh, traveling from the Ben Gurion airport, but the, but of course the vast majority of those commercial flights have been canceled, It became very, very difficult. for for Canadians to to get flight options. And so we've tried very hard to make sure that we can respond as quickly as possible to people's concerns and get them to safety so that they can get safely home.
1: Uh, You went to this NATO summit. I I would suspect that the agenda was going to be largely about Ukraine when it was scheduled and quickly became in many ways about Israel. And you and your fellow NATO defense ministers were briefed by Israel's defense minister today. Um, We're told that was quite a stark briefing. What did you hear?
4: Yeah, it was it was it was actually deeply disturbing Dave. david we 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 saw images of, of of israeli women and children um and and their citizens who had been you know horribly attacked and and murdered and and you know we heard very carefully very clearly from the defense minister of, of Israel about the, the 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 huge impact that it's had on their country and what the, everything they're doing to respond to it. There was also obviously a robust discussion among all our NATO, NATO allies. Uh, can in the u.s of, of course and, and and there was overwhelming support for for the people of israel and their right to defend themselves against this type of terrorist attack
1: prime minister netanyahu and his war cabinet are promising to wipe hamas off the face of the earth did the defense minister for israel give you any indication of the scale of their military response you
4: Now we talked very briefly about it and i'm not going to get into the details of of their military response um, we, we did uh, we do understand the the importance of Israel being able to defend itself against this t- this type of attack and to hold the, the terrorists that who committed these these, these vicious and horrible assaults uh, to account for their crimes
1: the, the challenge of course minister, is that where Hamas is, um, there are a lot of people who aren't members of Hamas there's a lot of civilians there. We're, there are hostages there. We are seeing reports of, of aid workers who have been killed by the Israeli strikes, Palestinian children who have been killed by the Israeli strikes. What, what concerns do you have about how Israel is responding um, in, in its uh, bombardment of Gaza?
4: Well, I, I think we all feel very strongly that, that there has already been a totally unacceptable slaughter of innocents in Israel, and we want to make sure that, that in Israel's efforts to defend itself and defend its, its country, that there, there is no further humanitarian um, violations that take place. And and we know that innocent civilians on both sides can, can often be caught in these conflicts. And, and we want to ensure that everything is done to, to support those humanitarian efforts to protect uh, people on all sides, while at the same time ho- holding the terrorist Hamas uh, groups who have committed these terrible assaults to proper account.
1: There are Canadian citizens in Gaza, though, Minister Blair. I, I wonder what you said to the Israeli defense minister about that. We, we've spoken to some of them. Their houses have been shelled out. The, the hotel they moved into have been blown up. They're, they're seeking shelter and they're afraid for their lives.
4: Yeah, and, and my message to the Canadians who are in Gaza, and, and frankly to all people who, who could find themselves um, in, in in such a difficult situation, um, certainly for, for the Canadians that are there um, to reach out to us by phone. Unfortunately, we're, we're unable to get consular officials into the area, but we are in contact with them, and we will do everything we can to support them and, and to keep them safe. Um, and and at, at the same time, uh, there, there was conversation among all the allies about the importance of not creating a, a greater humanitarian crisis as Israel d- does what is required to defend the, their, their country and their borders.
1: But, Mr. Blair, how are Canadians in Gaza supposed to reach out when electricity has been cut off, food, fuel, the sort of necessities you need to do these things, and uh, there, there's no humanitarian corridor or safe passage out of, out of the Gaza Strip?
4: And at and, and the present time, you're right. Then we would urge uh, anyone who is in in that those circumstances to shelter in place. And at the same time, we'll continue to support the United Nations um, ref, refugee program to, that is providing support uh, to people in those very difficult cir- circumstances. Um, we we all want to ensure that there is no uh, greater humanitarian uh, crisis uh, cr- created in this, in this very unfortunate situation. Um, and and we will be there for for uh, people who may find themselves in this difficulty. For, certainly for for Canadians um, that that are in Gaza, uh, David, we are concerned for their safety, and we will do everything we possibly can in order to provide them with with a a, a safer environment and the supports that they may require.
1: Uh, One of the Israeli ministers, the Energy Minister Katz, uh, uh, posted today on social media saying that no electrical switch will be turned on, no water hydrant will be opened, and no fuel truck will enter Gaza until the abductees are sent free. Um, they're resolute in their determination to eliminate Hamas, uh, but there's been criticism from, from people, uh, who've worked for the United Nations and other aid groups that this amounts to collective punishment against a civilian non-combatant population and may violate international law. How do you view that as Minister of Defense?
4: Well, it, it, uh, certainly, I, I think the, the safety of innocence is, is should be everyone's priority, and at the same time, we, we also know the Israelis are dealing with a very difficult adversary um, in 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 Gaza. But but we want to ensure that we do everything to support those those who are non-combatants and who may be caught in very very difficult circumstances, and we, we want to ensure the safety of everyone who, who, on both sides of that border um, who. Who will, will need the, the the help and 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 who could face, you know, really very significant uh, challenges in 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 those circumstances? And so, we'll do everything we can to continue to support the innocents in this situation while recognizing the importance uh, for Israel to deal with the criminals. And and as as you mentioned, David, there are many people who've been taken hostages hostage in these circumstances, um, and there is real concern for their safety. And so. Uh, we, we will we will continue to to monitor that situation very very closely to provide support for, for any Canadians who may be caught in those circumstances and at the same time uh, understand the importance of, of Israel to to try to repatriate safely those people who have been taken hostage.
1: So so Mr. Blair, just as a final point on, on Israel, how does Canada thread that needle? Um, you can understand the desire to to seek vengeance on Hamas and eliminate them as a threat to the Israeli population, and that is the number one determination of the operation that we're potentially going to see. How do you support Israel in that while also taking steps to protect the innocents and, and civilians when there is no humanitarian corridor or, or no way out for them and we don't know when the ground evasion is going to happen?
4: I, I, I believe, David, that, that Israel understands the importance of, of not uh, allowing... Um, a further humanitarian suffering to take place as, as they deal uh, appropriately with, with this Hamas terrorist threat. Um, they, they, these, these are, these are circumstances that the region unfortunately has faced in the past. Um, we'll continue to monitor it very carefully and, and offer whatever support we can to both those innocent civ- civilians who may be uh, caught in these ter- very ter- terrible circumstances while understanding the important work that Israel is is doing in order to deal with this terrorist threat and to affect the safe repatriation of those who have been taken hostage.
1: This, of course, is all happening uh, while Ukraine continues to battle the Russians, and that's, I think, the primary reason why you're in Brussels uh, uh, today. Uh, We've seen um, issues in the United States, uh, particularly around the leadership in the House of Representatives in terms of which is going to get more of a focus now, Israel or Ukraine. What concerns do you have that the security focus of the most important military partner uh, NATO has shifting away from Ukraine to Israel at this point in time?
4: Well, I wouldn't presume to speak for him, but I can tell you that Secretary Austin was very clear. In, 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 While well, on the one hand they are providing support and and assistance to is, Israel in, in countering the, the Hamas threat, um, he, they are unwavering in their continued support for, for Ukraine, and I can also share with you, David, around the NATO table, for, among all our allies, and we did spend most of yesterday talking, President Zelensky was here and, and the Defense Minister from Ukraine as well, um, Every every country was clear and unequivocal in their unwavering support for Ukraine in in their valiant struggle against Russian aggression and the invasion of their country. And we're going to continue to do what is required to provide them with the support that they need in that struggle.
1: Support may be unlimited, Minister, but you know, supplies and materials and supply chains being what they are, those things can be limited. It's something even President Zelensky acknowledged this week that in the wake of this attack, there's only a certain amount of military support to go around. So can the West, can NATO, Do both at the same time with the supplies that are available and the needs that exist?
4: Well, to be very clear, Israel has only asked the United States to provide support. And the United States has been very clear that they're going to support Israel and at the same time continue with the same level of support that they've been providing to Ukraine, But all of the NATO allies were very clear, and and, and we also discussed at some length some of the real challenges that all countries in in the NATO alliance are facing in securing ammunition and other essential supplies um, in order to support Ukraine and fulfill their own uh, capability requirements for the defense. Of, 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 of their own countries and, and for the NATO region, but, but at the same time, that support was, was strong and unwavering. And I, am, I remain very confident that, that we will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes with what they require to defend their country.
1: So, Minister Ruth, as a final question, with what's happening in Ukraine and with what is now happening in Israel how close are we potentially to this spiraling to a much broader conflict? The idea of other players coming into the the situation between Israel and Hamas right now,
4: David. To be clear, what what has taken place in Ukraine and now in in Israel is deeply concerning to all our allies. But I think the strength of the the the, the NATO alliance, the the. The unity among all of the par- uh, partners was was clearly evident uh, here in Brussels over the past two days. We remain resolute in in standing with each other and working together to maintain peace um, through, throughout the world. And and so I'm um, I'm I was actually quite encouraged by by the unity of purpose um, and the commitment that was clearly on display here at NATO. We all are committed to to maintaining peace and and to to confront the violent aggressions that have taken place in both Ukraine and now in Israel.
1: Minister of National Defense Bill Blair, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, David. The head of Israel's army says Gaza will never look the same as it vows to crush and destroy Hamas. So that is video showing the moment an Israeli missile hit Gaza City. Israel says the siege will not end until Hamas releases hostages taken during an attack on multiple Israeli cities Saturday that left more than 1,300 people dead. In response, Israel's military is laying siege to Gaza, dropping 6,000 bombs in six days. The death toll in Gaza now reportedly stands at more than 1,500 people, including 500 children and at least 270 women. There are reports Egypt has rejected calls to set up a safe corridor for refugees to flee Gaza. Some of those stuck in Gaza and under relentless fire have ties to Canada. Shima Ziara is a Canadian resident with family there, and she joins me now. Shima, th- it's nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Your mother is here with you in Canada right now, but the rest of your family remains in Gaza. Do you know how they are? What can you tell us about their condition?
3: Yeah, I mean, the past few days have been absolutely horrific for for my family back home, for us here, of course, for my friends and loved ones in, in Gaza. It has been extremely difficult, extremely devastated. We're constantly trying to get in touch with my family back home. And just praying at every call and every message that we don't hear bad news. Um, it's been it's been incredibly incredibly tough for them the past few days. It has been nonstop Israeli bombing everywhere in the Gaza Strip. No one is safe, and there's nowhere safe to go to. Um, major residential buildings have been bombed. Families fully fully. Killed and eradicated, full families, children. As you said, there's over 500 children now killed. Um, everything, everyone is just devastated. The city does not look the same anymore. I mean, I see the pictures and I see complete neighborhoods that are fully razed to the ground by the Israeli army. And I don't even recognize the places that I grew up in because it's just all a pile of rubbles at this point. And my brother also works in the Ashifa hospital. He's a doctor there and he can't even speak to the traumatizing scenes that he's seeing on a daily basis at Ashifa hospital of civilians, Palestinians, children that are being killed and massacred on a daily basis.
1: You, you, your brother wor- works in the hospital. Um, th- that is one of the areas under tremendous strain is people seek refuge in hospitals. Fuel and electricity, uh, shortages it, it may be completely gone by now. in most cases, a lack of food, a lack of water. Your family members do th- where are they in terms of being able to meet the basic essentials they need uh, to stay alive on a daily basis?
3: They're trying as much as possible to conserve whatever water and food they have. Um, There is no alternative resource once those run out because everything has been shut off. The Israeli Defense Minister mentioned a few days ago that they are cutting off electricity, water, medication, and fuel from the Gaza Strip, which means that people will have to do with whatever they have available to them. And once that runs out, we don't know what they will do. Um, This is... A genocide that is being committed by the Israeli army as we speak. We're all watching, we're in contact with our family, and we're checking on them all the time. But then, what happens when we lose contact? I mean, my brother with his wife. It's very difficult to get in touch with them because the area where they live, the internet connection is is really really bad. Because it has the Israeli army has actually targeted uh, central communications um, in Gaza that provides uh, uh, phone connections and Wi-Fi to the houses. So I don't know how if if these connections completely fail, how we're gonna be in touch with them how we're going to know they're okay if they run out of water and food i don't know what to do next we there is no no safety for gazans there's no place to take refuge it's just you're stuck there and if you're alive right now it's based on absolute luck
1: it sounds, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be grim, but I mean, you're aware of the reality as much as anybody. It sounds like there's no way out, right? Israel has barricaded the, the, the pathways into that country and Egypt uh, to this point. the reports are not going to let a humanitarian corridor open up into there. So what hope do you have that, that your family can get out of Gaza and find somewhere safe?
3: There is, as you said, there is no way way out at the moment. I mean, there's only two points of entry and exit to Gaza. One of them is controlled by the Israeli army and the other one by the Egyptian government. In the quote-unquote normal times where there isn't an increase in the Israeli aggression on Gaza, Palestinians still do not have much freedom of movement, and these entries are usually... Uh, either completely closed or extremely restrictive on who can enter uh, and exit because Gaza has been under Israeli siege uh, since 2007. So normal circumstances, do not even allow for much freedom of movement, let alone now when Israel has bombed the only crossing that would have allowed for any humanitarian aid or for people to enter or exit, they bombed Rafah crossing that is controlled by the Egyptian government while people were there with their suitcases trying to leave and most of the the Palestinian Gazans that are most of the time able to leave they're probably dual citizens so they have somewhere that they can go to theoretically not really in reality now but the rest of the Gazans there are 2 million people that would not be able to leave.
1: The, your mother uh, is here with you. She's in Canada with you. Uh, uh, ironically, uh, supposed to fly back to Gaza tomorrow. She's here on a visa yes. and can't stay permanently. A- and when that expires, she has to go home, right? Uh, I mean, how are you You're dealing with that?
3: Yeah, so my mom was able to come because um, I had a baby boy four months, five months ago. And uh, she came to Canada to help me take care of him, help me and my husband take care of him. And coincidentally, her flight back home was tomorrow, actually. Uh, My family misses her a lot, and she misses my family um, and our friends and relatives a lot. She was scheduled to fly back tomorrow. But with everything that is happening, we went ahead yesterday and canceled her flight because it doesn't seem like there is any end in sight to this. And um, there's no way in or out anyway. We don't know what will happen in the future. We don't know what the Gaza Strip will look like after this Israeli aggression. We don't know if our loved ones are gonna be still safe and okay by the end of this. So we don't really know what will happen next. Thankfully, her her visa still allows her to stay for months more. So I'm, I'm really glad she's here with me and she's not back home. But we still have loved ones back home and family back home, and we don't have any clarity on what their future is or what my mom would be able to do and whether she'll be able to go back there soon.
1: Shaima, Ziyara, I, I can't imagine how difficult this is for you, but thank you so much for, for joining us today to, to speak with us. Thank you. Thank you. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spent the day in Tel Aviv meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister and survivors of Saturday's Hamas attack. He said the U.S. stands with Israel, but he is cautioning against civilian casualties. Civilians should not be used in any way as the targets of military operations. Uh, They are not the target of Israel's operations.
4: Uh, We did discuss ways to address the humanitarian needs of people living in, uh, in Gaza, to protect them from harm while Israel conducts its legitimate security operations to defend itself from terrorism and to try to ensure that this never happens again.
1: For more on this situation, I have Gaith Alomari joining me. He's a senior fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. He also previously served as an advisor to the Palestinian Authority during previous peace negotiations. Mr. Alomari, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you,
0: David.
1: In the wake of uh, what Hamas did on Saturday, the United States has given Israel its unwavering support, but it's also urging the Israeli Defense Force to try and avoid civilian casualties. So far, um, there have been quite a few civilian casualties. Your thoughts on Israel's response at this point?
5: Um, I've been dealing with this uh, issue for more than 25 years now. Uh, I've been there during the worst days of the Second Intifada, the bloodiest days. I have never seen Israel so riled up, so angry, so traumatized, so united as I've seen them uh, today. I fear that uh, the attitude in Israel today that anything can be done to achieve their objectives. And I think we will see something that is qualitatively different from what we saw um, in the past. Uh, To be very clear. That This attack was uh, initiated by Hamas. Hamas used uh, heinous terror tactics to do that. But this does not absolve Israel from respecting its uh, legal obligation under international law, as President Biden repeatedly said in the last couple of days.
1: So, so when, you, when you frame it that way and say you think we're going to see something we haven't seen before, what do you think is in the future for Gaza and the two million plus people who are in there right now?
5: I mean, in the short term, uh, the, I would say nothing but death and destruction. Uh, in the longer term, it's really hard to uh, predict. I mean, it's interesting when you listen to Israeli officials. On the political level, they're talking about eliminating Hamas, etc., etc. Yet we are still to see a clearly articulated military objective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the future will depend on uh, what the objective is. Is it the full elimination of Hamas? I'm not sure that is possible. Is it decapitating Hamas, making it unable to govern? You know, if Hamas remains in Gaza, I can see a very grim future for uh, uh, for Gaza because Israel will not open uh, allow any opening uh, for Gaza in the uh, in the future. If Hamas is removed and we have a different kind of uh, governance then things might be different. But at the moment, it really is too early, and we're at the very early stages of this uh, operation. And we have to wait until we see what the objectives are and how the developments on the ground uh, happen.
1: Right. I mean, certainly the sense is is that some sort of a ground operation is imminent. But meanwhile, the, the diplomacy continues. And the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, he's scheduled to meet with uh, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas on Friday. You served as an advisor to President Abbas in the past. What do you expect to come from that meeting?
5: I mean, to be honest, not much. Uh, Abbas, President Abbas is uh, completely irrelevant or largely irrelevant to this whole uh, dynamic. Abbas does not control uh, Gaza, and he can't control the, uh, uh, the events there. I think what Blinken wants when he meets with Abbas uh, is two things. He wants Abbas to reiterate a statement he made today. Uh, condemning violence against civilians, uh, I believe, to Abbas's statement today was a bit weak, and I think Blinken will go for something, go for something bigger. But what really uh, Blinken wants from Abbas is to keep things quiet in the West Bank, and even there, there are challenges. The Palestinian Authority and Mahmoud Abbas himself are very unpopular among the Palestinians to a large extent because of their corruption, uh, lack of democracy, uh, etc. So his ability to exercise political and security control on the West Bank. Is limited, yet we will see American uh, uh, efforts and international efforts to put Abbas in everything that he can, keep the West Bank quiet.
1: Right. So in terms of people from, say, from Canada and other countries who might be stranded in the Palestinian territories, um, getting out of the West Bank is an easier proposition than getting out of Gaza because of Jordan and others will allow uh, people to go through there. But there have been conversations with Egypt, for example, on the idea of a humanitarian corridor for people to get out of Gaza. And those appear to have failed. Uh, I mean, where does this leave uh, the city of Gaza?
5: I believe the Egyptian position is that they are they are concerned that a mass displacement from Gaza will create a refugee problem in Egypt. They don't want to deal with that. They're also afraid that this displacement will be, you know, a population transfer uh, as a result. How far did these concerns? I don't know, but this is this is what I'm hearing from uh, Egyptian mm-hmm. officials. That said, I, I believe that there will be an exception made, not maybe immediately in the next few days, uh, for foreign nationals to travel. And I believe that will be a different track of conversation with the Egyptians, and I think they will allow it. But allowing Palestinians to move out is not an option. So they are Palestinians in Gaza are stuck. There are some options to go to some UN facilities, yet those are very limited. And underlying all of this is uh, a shortage of humanitarian uh, uh, goods, electricity, uh, etc. So the options, again, are extremely grim.
1: You said you've never seen Israel respond like this because there has been a, a persistent cycle of conflict uh, in, in the region and, and between these players. Where does this leave the notion of a two-state solution and a possible peace process in the wake of, of what we've seen in the last few days?
5: Again, I mean, with the caveat that it's too early uh, to tell, I believe uh, what we're seeing right now is the immediate uh, reaction uh, to the events. And it's understandable. You know, the the magnitude of the uh, murder that Hamas was involved in, the, the barbarity of some of the scenes, it's understandable. However, I think this is also was going to start a conversation within Israel. For a long time, many Israelis have believed that uh, the Palestinian issue can be ignored, can be uh, put aside. The only ones, frankly, on the Israeli side who are really working uh, and thinking about this are the extremist elements. And most of the Israelis who would normally be inclined towards peace have basically checked out. I think after this, we will see a very different conversation in Israel. But this will only happen after the violence ends and after the war ends. Until then, I believe that Israel will be united uh, in both its anger and desire to uh, uh, deal a very heavy blow to Hamas.
1: All, all of this is happening, you know, as Israel was in the process of normalizing its relations with a lot of key countries in the region, Saudi Arabia in particular. Uh, how do you think this uh, sets back that process, does it? And, and, and if Israel responds on the scale you seem to think they will, does that, what, what is the broader geopolitical impact of that in the region? Could it draw other countries into this?
5: First of all, it's worth noting that uh, two of the Arab countries that made uh, peace with Israel a few years ago in the context of the Abraham Accords, namely Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, uh, stand out for condemning Hamas's terror. So that tells you that these uh, uh, normalization deals are actually taking the deep hold. When it comes to Saudi Arabia... There is no doubt that at the moment this will derail the process. Uh, There is no bandwidth in Israel and there's a lot of anger in Saudi Arabia. You should look at the statements from the crown prince, Mm. from the foreign minister. Yet I believe that the strategic uh, uh, considerations that basically drove the Israeli Saudi uh, will will not disappear. And once uh, the fighting ends, I believe that Saudi and Israel will go back to that because the considerations were really unrelated to the Palestinian uh, uh, issue uh, uh, directly. I fear that at the end of the day, and I'm hearing this from uh, friends uh, in the Gulf and Saudi Arabia and elsewhere, there is an anger developing with Hamas and with the larger Palestinians saying that that the Palestinians are only asserting themselves in uh, negative ways. So in the short term, this might derail it, Longer term, I just don't see uh, how the Saudi-Israeli track will not resume. Keith
1: Ella, thank you so much for your time today.
5: Thank you very much.
1: That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening.